stay tuned for a special presentation of the Roy and Jimmy thing. On today's episode of the Roy and Jimmy thing, we have Tom Petty superfan Sean Bresnan sitting in with us. Not only is he a super fan, he was the creator of the very first Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers internet fan page. Currently, he's the administrator for TomPettyRocks.com and also the Facebook group Tom Petty Rocks. So it's our pleasure to present to you an interview with Mr. Sean Bresnan right here on The Roy and Jimmy Thing. I hope this is a guy named Jimmy. (laughs) This is me. Hey, Sean. How you doing, buddy? Man, I never answer unknown calls. <laughs> That's all it says is unknown, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, I'm so glad we met how we did. Well, yeah, you know that uh, the, the connection we have with Rich Scheidner and then it turning out to you being the petty fan, which I assumed, and yep. then it turned out to be more than. So you started, uh, give me give me some background on this. Uh, how'd your petty uh, experience or obsession start? Well, <laughs> I, I don't want to call it an obsession, so much as it was just a love and the only thing I can relate related to is like people you know I see those old um, video shots when Lennon was shot and how emotional some of those people were right and I would when Lennon was shot I was oh god 1980 so uh, 14 years old and I didn't really discover Lennon until much later, you know? I, I mean, I knew who he was, sure. but I didn't get my my appreciation for him till much later. But um, growing up, I, I, I grew up on Long Island, and uh, Huntington, Long Island, and my mom was cool as shit. She used to go to uh, the Folk Fest on... Um, on the beaches of Long Island, uh, Jones Beach used to have a folk festival every year. Uh-huh. And she'd go see Bob Dylan. She went to high school with Simon and Garfunkel. Wow. My aunt actually dated Garfunkel. <laughs> Damn. And they went to the same high school, uh, Queens High School. And uh, I did a post on one of my sites a while back uh, when the guys in the Ramones died. They named the street name after the Ramones, and it was the same high school my mom went to with Simon and Garfunkel. So, uh, I mean, she turned me on to great music early on, and I remember listening to Bob Dylan's Nashville Skyline and um, Mamas and the Papas, the album with Monday, Monday on it. And she... and. You know, she had a great musical taste, and she turned me on to the whole folk scene and pretty much the singer-songwriter thing. And I knew I liked that early on. You were getting and into had, you were getting into the words and and the meanings at at that point. Yeah, and it was just like, man, he's really saying something, you know. And it was because at that age, I want what was going on. Disco was freaking going on, right? You know, I had all these friends listening to Saturday Night Fever, and I was like, yeah, I don't like that. I don't dance. <laughs> <laughs> so I-, I was trying to break away from, and my dad was really into Neil Diamond. 
And um, granted, I love Neil Diamond and I appreciate him. And he's a great songwriter himself. Wrote all those Monkees tunes. Um, incredible performer. Um, but man, after you hear it, when it's embedded in your brain at an early age, you kind of want to hear something else. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, we, uh, we, uh, I was 15 when uh, John Lennon uh, got killed. And the same oh, wow. thing, you, okay. you, you're surrounded by I mean, that. I, I turned 51. How, are, how old are you, Jimmy? Uh, right now I'm 52, so I was 15 when that happened. Okay. And, uh, right. it, you know, you, you see the reaction and the emotional, and you just don't get it, especially at that age. Yeah. And uh, then as time goes on, when someone else passes away, another uh, pop star, music star, rock star, you know, you just don't get it. Right. But as we grew, as we grew up, and we, you know, obtain that love for their music and what they actually did for the music industry. And, you know, it was amazing to me. You know, I totally got why they were so emotional. But, and with Tom happening recently, you know, it was like you lost a family member. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a shock. Uh, it, you know, I, I didn't see it coming. And I never, you know, I posted yesterday saying that I've never even thought of the, the heartbreakers not being there carrying the rock and roll torch. Right. I mean, they they were pop music for four decades. That's how long. Yeah, you know, and you, you posted um, last week, uh, you lost your John Lennon. You know, and I think that yeah. was a, I think that was a great analogy because you know, as uh, me and you were finding out with each other, is uh, I'm a huge Tom Fett, uh, Petty fan, and it hit me late as right. far as appreciating pretty much everything him and the Heartbreakers did. Um, I went to my yeah. first, my very first concert was for the Wallflowers tour. I think it was uh, Dogs Can Fly, Dogs at Wings. Um, oh yeah. So it was April 1995. And right. I, I went because uh, me and my girlfriend, there were tickets available that night. And we went, let's go. And it was yeah. it was no big deal. And when I heard right. them live, it was like, holy cow. I, I've been to concerts before. They are so phenomenal live. Yeah. You've been to and concerts before and everybody twists their own songs around. And you're like, oh, okay, I saw them play. Uh, but right. the way they sounded. And by the time I got to Refugee, it was like an out of body. It was like, Wow. I have to right. have everything Tom Petty right now. Well, that was my first Tom Petty experience growing up on Long Island. I always got along with people who were older than me, uh -huh. maybe because I thought they were smarter and cooler. But um, I don't know why, but this kid up the street was 17 and I was 13. And it was October 1979. And I bought my first electric guitar from... Frank Crowley was his name. I still remember it to this day. Yeah. And he uh, he said, uh, look, I got this electric guitar that you like. It, it was a Gibson Les Paul copy, a Hondo 2 Gibson Les Paul hot, uh, copy that I bought for $35 from Frank. And he said, come over Saturday. I want you to hear this new record I just bought, and I'll, I'll teach you some chords. So it was Damn the Torpedoes. Wow. And I went over to his house, and the first bar chord I ever learned was F-sharp minor, the intro to Refugee. We put that needle down on the front of that album. 
again and again and again. <laughs> you know, that's how it was done in 1979. Yeah. You didn't have digital recordings. You couldn't back shit up. <laughs> it, well, dropping the needle, right? Yeah, dropping the needle right yeah. there is your big clue, yeah. Right, you, you had to go, oh, okay, where was that bit? <laughs> and place the needle right where it was. It was, <laughs> uh, it was a hell of an experience, but man, good times. And, and right then and there, I knew that that was rock and roll to me. That was, his words meant something to me. You know, he spoke about women. And at that age, you know, hell, Tom helped me through puberty. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, sure. You know, and uh, the only Tom Petty album I had at that point was Damn the Torpedoes. And I right. bought that. I bought that years way year, when it came out. I got it for, uh, I believe, uh, Don't Do Me Like That. That's what was on the radio. And yeah, then yeah. you start exploring you know, and th- this is back in the day when you bought an album for a song, and then everything right. else kind of came with, and you kind of discovered the song before it, the song after it, and then it's like, oh, that's a great one. This is a great one, you know. But up until right. that point, when I saw them in concert, it was like, wow, it all kind of came together at that point. Yeah, yeah, it, it, they're just phenomenal live. So yeah, back then, man, what what the Heartbreakers did and what the music industry was doing then. I mean, they literally released singles, like you're talking about Don't Do Me Like That, but I believe the first single was Refugee off of Damn the Torpedoes. Right. But the B-sides were always amazing. Oh, yeah. They were songs like Casadega that was released on, uh, I think that was the B-side of Refugee. Now, see, that, that's a great song I didn't even experience until I bought the playback set. Exactly. I just like we were talking the other night about that. That playback box set is phenomenal. You know, and, and, and all the, the old Mudcrutch stuff that was recorded. Um, one thing, you know, having worked with him and having worked with his management company, they recorded everything. One of Tom's routines was that he recorded every show, and when he got back you know, to the hotel or to the bus or whatever after the show, he was listening to his performance. And he was always wanting to make it better. And that's the way he did it. And um, I I thought that was awesome. That's mastering your craft right there. Yeah. You know, and that... He was so concerned about the performance. And like every album, you know, he released, he always wanted it to be better than the last one. Right. Which, you know, he he was so on top of shit. You know, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. He had, it's like he had his finger on the pulse of, you know, what people want to hear or something. Well, you know, and, but, it, um, and that showed in the stage performance, you know, honing the craft. Because when he would, uh, when he would uh, enhance a song, you know, stretch it out, have yeah. a solo in between and, it, it wasn't over the top, and it wasn't gratuitous. It was. It went with. No, it was Mike like Mike Campbell is the most phenomenal guitarist I've ever. I mean, I play guitar, and I'd be embarrassed to pick up a guitar in front of Mike Campbell. <laughs> he, well, he's underrated. <laughs> he's so underrated. He, the, man, he plays the right notes for every song, and I've seen him perform "Running Down a Dream." more times than I can count, Jimmy. Yeah. And every time I see him, I'm just floored. 
Yeah, and when he when he finished the song up at the end there, you know that uh, the whole ending of that song is just all Mike Campbell on the car, guitar. And, you know, he did that off the cuff live in the studio. You know, I think I read where, it, yeah, he did that. That's right. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. oh yeah, record him. He's going here. It is right, and and he. Uh, Man, he's just a phenomenal guitarist. And he always knew what was right for Tom's songs. I mean, they were like the perfect match from the beginning. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, he always got what Tom wanted to do, and that's what he produced. I mean, those first two albums are probably two of my favorite. It amazes me that they're only 30 minutes long each, but there is some phenomenal work on there. I mean, you're going to get it. And... um, you know, Wild One Forever is one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite heartbreak tunes. And, um, you know, it's just, there's some phenomenal work there. And then when You're Gonna Get It came out, I mean, You're Gonna Get It itself, the title tune is phenomenal. Um, listen to Her Heart. Yeah, that's a great song. And all like I said, uh, all those B-sides and, and cuts you don't see or even ever heard of. Like Casadega, I never heard the song until it got played right. back. Magnolia, off of, I think you're going to get it, is phenomenal. I mean, it's got such a southern vibe from where he came from. And, it, man, he, he his words were so right on. And I just related with him at an early age. And I never stopped loving them after that first, you know, laying that needle down on the beginning of Damn the Torpedoes. Well, what took and, you from uh, what took you from that love to um, how'd you end up being with the starting up or working with uh, GoneGator.com? When did that come out? Well, that ha- all right. We'll, we'll skip a couple of decades. The seven, we'll jump to nineteen ninety nine. I was working for a web development company, and uh, I did web design and was working on several different websites for this company. And by the way, if you have anybody who needs a website, you know, give them my number. <laughs> Will and, do. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. And, it, it, and, and, but, and that time, it was actually, you were doing more coding. There was no really all these programs out there. Well, I was never, I was never, I wouldn't call myself a coder, whereas, like, you know, I didn't do um the whole back end thing to it. I was more front end design and making everything look really good gotcha. and aesthetically correct and having people get to what they're looking for quicker. And I was also, I'm really good at search engine optimization and getting websites found. Gotcha. So in 1999, I started gongator.com as a hobby. I was working for this great startup company. We were, um, Basically, we were an early version of iTunes. Okay. Um, we were uh, getting deals with record labels, and people could come to our site. I actually named the company's site. It was called Amplified.com, and they could download selected songs from all these different catalogs that we had obtained. And we would burn them a CD with their selected songs and send it to them, or they could download the individual tracks. Wow. Uh, long story short, Apple got into the business and put us out. Um, so as a hobby, I started gongator.com and it, it was great, man. It, I was able to experiment with things that I wanted to try on the company website, but this was mine so I could see if it works on this website 
and then put it into pro- uh, production on other websites. Gotcha. So, so yeah, uh, a little it, R&D on yours. Was, right. It was a great tool. Well, it turns out, uh, I let me back up. I named it Gone Gator. I don't know if you know the story behind that, but the name Gone Gator comes from Tom Petty's first publishing company. It was Gone Gator Music. <laughs> That's and right. I thought when uh, when he first, if you look back at his old publishing, the old you know music books and stuff, you'll see Gone Gator Music a lot on that earlier on the earlier recordings. So. I thought that would be a great name for a Tom Petty fan site. I mean, I was thinking, you really had to be a fan to know that, <laughs> you know? And uh, so um, I reserved gongator.com, and um, I built this website. And, you know, I used some of my marketing experience with web design and stuff, and I got it recognized. I got it in the right places. I found, you know, where other Tom Petty fans were, and I posted links there and uh, started posting off the official website and stuff like that. I built this huge base of fans that would go to Gone Gator and all of a sudden I'm getting 3,000 people, 4,000 people a week to my website. I'm going, what the hell? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and I was just getting, you know, pictures. I, I'm really good with search engines and finding uh, information and things I need, like pictures and things like that. And I might have not gone around it the most legal way with the pictures. <laughs> but um, I always came from the school where it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, I was like, screw it. Let's let's go for it. So I built this website, and uh, there, I'll have to send you the link I can't remember the name of it, but it's something like uh, backintime.com. Oh, right, yeah. And if you go to gongator.com, you can see all the old – you can see how I changed the um, design of the website over the years and how it grew. And it, it, it's pretty cool. But, um, I mean, when I first started it in 1999 – it was a very basic HTML website with static web pages, and man, people found it and loved it. And what were you putting because on there? I knew how to use a search engine, I could find information on Tom Petty every month, and I had something posted. You know, this is before Facebook. This is before everybody thought they were a newscaster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, so what were you putting up there? Articles, pictures, just uh, tour information? Yeah, articles from Billboard magazine, articles from Rolling Stone. When it was not as easily found as it is today. Oh, yeah, you can cut and, and paste these days, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you just hit share. Right. You know, and people think and people think they're the guy who found the story. <laughs> no. <laughs> no scoop here. But, uh, so, uh. So I did this, and here's a, here's a really cool thing, is that the wives of the band members found my website. Like, um, Mike Campbell's wife found it. Yeah. And started sending me pictures. Oh, neat. And Dana, and Dana found it and started sending me pictures. And Dana and I would have these conversations. I had a yellow lab at the time. They had a yellow lab. And we started, we would just talk dogs for forever. 
you're gonna and, you're gonna um, you're gonna you're gonna laugh at a heavy yellow lab. Oh man, they're great dogs. They're, they're awesome. They're freaking great. And, uh, so so I built this relationship, right? And then then a girlfriend of Howie Epstein wrote me, and she's sending me all these pictures of Howie's house in Arizona with the teepees and all this. And I got to talk to Howie on the phone. Oh, and wow. I, you know, Howie was one of the sweetest guys I've probably ever talked to. And, and he was so down to earth. And he was like, man, I love what you're doing. I can't believe you built this for us. Thank you. Um, he says, I've got a bunch of Polaroids that I'm going to send you and um, please scan them and put them on your site and tell people I sent them. Wow. I was like, hell yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so he sent me about, I want to say there were a dozen, maybe 20 Polaroids. And, you know, I had to send them back to him, so I had to be real careful with him. Yeah. So back in, you know, I wish hindsight is twenty twenty, and I wish I had scanned them at a higher resolution back when I had them. Right. But I still have the smaller ones that I did scan, and they're like pictures of Benmont on uh, a Harley-Davidson in Howie's garage, uh, a picture of um, Tom's roadie, um, Oh God! What's his name? Uh, I'm having a brain fart. Um, Bugs holding a, holding a half a gallon of milk next to Tom, doing like a cheers with Tom with a coffee cup, and uh, with Mike Campbell pictures uh, on Tom's driveway with George Harrison and Jeff Lynn. Just awesome pictures. Now, as a fan, the only place. The only place people could see these pictures were on gongator.com. So next thing I know, that that was 2001, and they were getting ready to go on tour that summer, and they had a date in Atlanta. Um, I had USA Today call me. Wow. And I did an interview with them, and they posted a blurb on usatoday.com. I don't know if the link's still out there anymore, but it was pretty cool. Um, and I also got an interview with the Atlanta Journal. Um, you know, and they bragged about having a Tom Petty, Tom Petty fan site right here in Atlanta. Damn. And, um, you know, it was pretty cool. That, so, um, that that you know from from like you said your little humble beat guineas with that to yeah. Howie and Dana and and to the the newspaper article it's just you you probably had and, no even wildest dreams it would blow up that big no Jimmy because I was just doing it as a fan not even you know what I I built it because I was a fan right but the intentions were much different I was building it to test my skills and design. <laughs> And it turned into something much different, and it, it was it was pretty cool. That that is um, that is so awesome. I, it got some great press. I, I mean, for a fan site to get that kind of press is unheard of. Oh yeah. I mean, there are so many copy websites out there. Um, it, it's it's incredible. 
I remember oh. um, I remember popping over to GoneGator.com because once you um, once I got in on, after that concert, then you you search everything. And yeah, like I said, back we're talking the '90s, so the information isn't as accessible as it is now. But you're trying to get, right. you know, the set list from this concert and the set list from my yeah. concert, and, and what am I missing as far as albums? And yeah, you're just right. you're just into it. And I remember I do remember popping into GoneGator.com. Oh, cool! Very cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a it was a great project. It, it got me. As, you know, I got closer to the band members and to management. I don't think I met Tony Dimitriotis first until Music Midtown when, in Atlanta in 2006 uh, when he invited me backstage and I had to actually watch the show from the side of the stage. Oh, wow. And, it, you know, I was sitting with Dana and, you know, um, I had seen Dana the previous tour um, I want to say for last DJ uh-huh. and, um, you know, I was down on the floor and, you know, I never asked them for tickets. I never, you know, I was never that kind of, I, because I toured with bands that opened for Aerosmith and ZZ top. And I, I know how annoying that is to be that guy. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. We've all seen that guy. Tickets. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, I always paid for my ticket, um, back then, but, they fixed that later. <laughs> oh. um, so uh, I, I was down on the floor and I saw Dana walking down the aisle and I went out and I uh, said, Dana, and she turned around and I said, Sean Bresnan, and she ran up and hugged me and it was just cool as shit, you know? Oh, that's awesome. And every time, um, let me back up, uh, uh, I missed a spot. In 1999, I flew out to see them at the Fillmore in San Francisco, and uh, I paid Jimmy. This is the most I've ever paid for a concert <laughs> ticket. I paid four four hundred dollars for one concert ticket to see them at the Fillmore. And I had heard through fans in San Francisco through Gone Gator, and it had only been up a couple of months that they usually stay at the Miyago in Chinatown, uh-huh. which, um where they stayed in 97, I think, when they first did the Fillmore Run, the 20 shows. And then when Echo came out, they did uh, seven shows at the Fillmore. And I said, I've got to see this. <laughs> so, man, I flew out there. I bought this ticket. I booked a hotel room in the same hotel they're staying at. And I was outside having a cigarette, um, and Ben Montpensch walks by and I stuck my hand out and I said, Mr. Tench, hey, my name's Sean Bresnan. I just flew out here from Atlanta to see you guys tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, I built this site called gongator.com. I don't know if you've heard about it. You know, please check it out. And he just stood back and looked at me and, like, said, thank you, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cool. And I got to um, – that was a time – when I had first been friends with Mike Campbell's guitar tech, Chinner, and uh, like right next to this hotel was this mall with, uh, in Chinatown with all these great restaurants. So I walked in there for lunch. Who's sitting there but Mike Campbell and Chinner and uh, Steve Ferroni and, um, oh, crap. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. It's all um, good. Yeah. I can't remember the uh, 
uh, anyways. So I sat down and I introduced myself, and all of a sudden I'm having sushi with Mike Campbell. And <laughs> That's just awesome. Like, this is so fucking cool. <laughs> it's so great when you can uh, when you meet some of your idols, yeah. and it's it's just like regular you know regular people. You can just hang and and just right. have a great time. But my point with that story, that was where it started. Was my introduction where the band started to get to know me, and every show I went to after that. They they would wave to me, you know, like from the, it's like, hey man, <laughs> and um, when Tony brought me backstage, he was amazed that I knew everybody. You know, they they would walk by and go, hey Sean, <laughs> and, oh man, you met them? I was like, yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, it was pretty cool. So uh, yeah, after that, what was the next step? I did, I did. I did Gone Gator Radio. Uh-huh. I want to say that started right around 2006. And me and John Scott, uh, John Scott contacted me, and he asked me if I know anything about streaming audio. Give him, and uh, with my job with Amplified.com, I was like, God, that's all I've been doing for the last seven years. Let's give, a, so, let's give, um, our, let's give our listeners a, a little background yeah. on John. Well, John is... He is the guy who made Tom Petty famous. Long story short, he was the, if I'm not mistaken, he was the um, promotions guy for ABC Records back in the 70s, like 76, right when the record came out. 76, 77. Mm -hmm. And John was looking for an album to break. And as John told it to me, he was going through a pile of records one day and came across the uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers first record cover, and he said, let me listen to this. This looks cool. So he listened to it and loved it. He loved breakdown, everything about it. Um, he was like, this is a real rock and roll album. <laughs> and he physically went out and traveled to every radio station he had contacts with in the United States. And he broke that record. If wow. it wasn't for John Scott going out to Boston, I don't know that Tom Petty and the Harp people would know that name. Yeah, because it wasn't they. They weren't out of the gate rock and roll stars no. with that album. I mean, even no, though what really broke Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers to the public was the movie FM. Oh, I love that and movie. That came out in 1978, and Breakdown was in that soundtrack. That's and right. Tom Petty actually. Cameo that's right. I remember that. In and, fact, um, it, that's that movie's loosely based on the the rock station out here uh, that was KMET uh, at the time. I have a feeling WKRP from Cincinnati was based on that movie. Yeah, yeah, that's a great and, movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but that's a great movie. And you know, to have breakdown on your first album, <laughs> it's it, it's incredible. No kidding. How awesome! I mean, that is just incredible. Uh, such a great song, and you know, um, man, they were just—they were so rock and roll. You know, they got tossed into that whole new wave thing, and I just don't think people knew where the hell to put them. Right. And uh, you know, uh, unless you listen to that—I mean, if you listen to the Talking Heads back then, yeah, that's a little funky. That's a little—you know—even right. Elvis Costello. Well, Elvis Costello was maybe a little more rock and roll back then. Even. 
Sure. But he got thrown into that category too. And, um, but man, the heartbreakers just rocks. Yeah. So John's out there pitching this thing cause he, he just loved it. Yeah. And he, he took it to heart and went to all these different cities and got, uh, just kept getting them ads, man, on the playlist. Just every week he was bringing more and more ads to the playlist. And once FM came out, things skyrocketed and then they got, uh, uh, Jimmy Iovine involved, and when he he produced "Damn the Torpedoes," that that was a shit right then and there. I mean, the things <laughs> they did on that record, um, <laughs> just just working on Stan's drum sound. I had a tough time last Monday, man, when I heard the news, and I'm still pissed off about how media did with it. Yeah, um, because it, that information should not have been released until it was official. Right. And people didn't know. And man, I tell you what, I was just all I, I couldn't get any work done that day. I was just watching news. You know, it it's st- it stopped me too. I was uh, I was out doing stuff and uh, I was getting over the whole Las Vegas thing and trying to grasp that. And then I heard about uh, Tom, and I'm like, oh oh, what? No. And then right, you know, then people know how much of a fan I am, so I'm getting messages. And then my mom called and. Man, I heard my aunts and uncles called me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I really appreciated them doing that. And then at the same time, I felt kind of weird going, okay, listen, it's, yeah. I, I appreciate it, yeah. but yeah, I, you know how much this means to me. Right. And I was just like, you know, uh, thanks, but you know, I'm not a stalker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's not get that out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it, but you know, if when I got married, uh, you know, you pick out your songs. And for our yeah. our intro our introduction coming in, I picked "Running Down a Dream," and right. the DJ says, "No, man, you, really?" And I said, "Just watch, watch what happens," you know. And the whole crowd, old and young, got into it because you know how the song goes; it just builds up. The lyrics yeah. are perfect, you know, and yeah. everyone's dancing by the end of this thing. Yeah, when I was in uh, when I was in going to Georgia State, I majored in music business, and I had motions class and I had to sell a radio um, um, promotions director a, a, a new song so uh, Full Moon Fever had just come out and I brought my acoustic guitar into the classroom and I did Face in a Crowd oh, good song and um, you know the class loved it that I, I, I did such a great rendition of it and stuff like that and I, and I was listening off the bullet points of the song. It's been added here, here, and here. You know, the song is rising on this chart on Billboard this week, this chart on radio and records. Yeah. You know, back when all these magazines were the shit. And I loved that industry back then. I mean, it, it's sad what's happened to it. Sure. But, um, man, it was a blast. And I, I had my shit down. <laughs> I was just like, bam, bam, bam. This is a song. You need to play this, uh, and you know. I, so I got the ad um, as as the um, for the class credit. So it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Well, you know, full, when Full Moon Fever came out, that that kind of brought Tom Petty back around again. You know, uh, yeah. And uh, you know, the, my favorite part about that uh, album and the cassette is that midpoint where he says, "This is where you turn it over." 
<laughs> this is where you turn the oh, album right. over. You know, yeah, yeah, that, so old great. school, and I love that. But Full Moon Fever yeah. came out, it, and it, it was a total different sound for him, but it was still his signature sound at that time. Right. And it's one of those one of those albums I, I again. That sound, I, the sound of those Rickenbackers on that guitar on that album. Oh my God! This, I, I mean, Jeff Lynne did a phenomenal job producing that record. And, and what's the what's the birds cover they do on that? Uh, feel oh, a whole lot better. Yeah, yeah, and, and him and Roger, yeah, him and Roger McGuinn sound like yeah, absolutely uh, identical there. Now it's such a great funny, album. Uh, funny story. Uh, another tangent. Um, at the time, I was playing clubs around Marietta, Georgia, uh, playing guitar and singing, and I used to play for this. Um, uh, <laughs> I used to open for this Elvis impersonator <laughs> in a place called Churchill's Pub in Marietta. And one week, uh, the week um, Damn the Torpedo, uh, not Damn the uh, Full Moon Fever came out. Um, <laughs> they were playing, you know, I won't back down on the radio. The first thing I learned off the record is free falling. Right. And so nobody had really heard it yet because the radio is not playing it yet. And I decided to play it. And, you know, I did the verse great. <laughs> and I was drinking a lot of tequila that night. <laughs> and I got to the, I got to the, <laughs> I got to the chorus and I cracked like Peter Brady going through fever. <laughs> I went out. Uh, so I had a bunch of friends there, so we turned it into a comedy bit. <laughs> you might as well at that so point. So when I got to the chorus, I just pointed to my friends, and they go, "Free!" <laughs> you know, it, it, it is it, how much we love that song. But you know, I, I loved hearing it in concert, but I hate it when you put it on the encore because at that point your throat's already trash, and right, right, and you just have to lean back. You got all your your, your beers in you. And you just just free, you're just screaming it yeah, at that yeah. point, <laughs> just freaking wailing it. I went to, I did a it drunken, I did a drunken karaoke at night a couple of years ago, and everyone is up there doing the usual stuff. And so I yeah. got the book, I looked at it, and I said, uh, "This is the one I'm going to do." And I actually, I think I brought the house down a little bit, if I must say, is uh, I did breakdown. Yeah, and it's like it's just I had my I had like a, a thumb in my pocket. I was just doing the, the the cool rendition of it, just standing there, and it came out pretty good. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's my little ode to it right there. All right. Well, I did uh, I did a lot of cover. I mean, in my post yesterday, you know, I um, talked about how you know Tom helped me through a lot of breakups growing up mm -hmm. and singing songs like "Here Comes My Girl." And um, you're going to get it hurt from you're going to get it as well. Uh, you got lucky. I mean, they're not nice songs, but man, they helped you through a breakup. Yeah. Well, you know, the <laughs> it, it was just like, man, it, it brought your, 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 your strength back. And I used to do a cover of a woman in love that I don't mean to sound cocky, but I did a good damn version. <laughs> I'm sure you did. It's hard. And um, because, see, I, I related so well to Tom's lyrics, I could make the song my own, you know? Right. And at that time where I used to be able to actually sing, <laughs> it sounded good. And I had this experience at this one bar doing that song, and there was just, you know, you could hear people talking, and then all of a sudden it was like all eyes were on you, and nobody was talking. 
And he was like, oh, shit, don't fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me aware. Don't make me aware. <laughs> right, right. So, um, so I'm doing this song, and, um, you know, I, I thought I did a good job. And after, you know, I did my set, I had this older couple, older than me at the time, I guess. I was maybe in my 20s at the time, and they were in their 30s. And this guy comes up to me and goes, man, you made that song your own. Wow. And I just thought that was the biggest compliment ever. That That's, yeah, that's a great compliment. And, um, so, uh, you know, I was like, you know, it's not my words at all, but God, I was feeling them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, you, once, I, once I became a super fan, if you will, uh, you know, the, the appreciation, yeah. like we said, for the songs and, uh, that beginning of here comes my girl, his little riff, yeah. you know, bringing the song in. It's just like at that point, you know, it, those are goosebumps songs at that point. You're just like, wow. Right. You just that, like that sound is just so phenomenal. I heard, I, mean, I heard the song before, but now I get the song. Right. And, right. you know, and, it, and I really got to a point in my life where people just said, dude, if you say Tom Petty one more time, I'm like, yeah. I, okay, I, I can, I can, I have headphones. I'm okay. I'm okay with that, yeah. you know. And in my obsession, you know, like I said, I uh, the I, th- I believe it was the Echo Tour. Uh, followed them all yeah. through California. Uh, must have saw him six, seven times that summer alone. Uh, one right. of the best places uh, we saw him was at the Santa Barbara Bowl. It's a little, okay. uni- yeah, the, uni- the university up there, but it's this little bowl, and oh my god, it's intimate, and the sound was just awesome. And I seen him at the Hollywood Bowl, Irvine Meadows, uh, but that wow. little Santa Barbara Bowl was just probably so awesome yeah i've seen them all over the country i i went to uh when pearl jam was opening for them in yeah 2006 maybe mm-hmm. um i i went to uh flew out to denver and the management company hooked me up tickets. and jimmy you know i didn't know i i didn't care what they gave me you know yeah and the first night um i'm with this date who paid for my plane ticket <laughs> that's a good and, uh, date that's a good date they gave us like 21st row and i was like well this is cool you know we can see everything this is great had a great time first night right yeah second night we show up to will call seventh row jeez i'm like are you kidding me <laughs> wow <laughs> i was like embarrassed to be that close <laughs> because like my Mike and Ben Mott are waving at me. <laughs> there he is. Hey, Sean. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm not ashamed to say I spent a little probably too much more money the more we got to be yeah. fans, and, you know, for fifth row and tenth row. And right. it's just like, you oh, know. Man, I, I've seen them all over the place, and it's it's been a great show every time. Every time. I don't know. I don't know how many times I've seen them, Jimmy. I mean, I, I lost count a long time ago. And, um, but everyone's been phenomenal. Um, but I, I'll tell you, the Fillmore is a great memory. Um, that venue just reeks of history. Oh, yeah. And uh, all right, I'll tell you this story. I threw up at the Fillmore. <laughs> okay, tell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny story. Uh, so I, I met this girl. Her name was Elizabeth, a beautiful Asian girl from San Francisco. And we made friends over gongator.com and she was like, meet me and my friend for dinner and we'll have some drinks before the show. And I met them 
And I was a shy guy, man, and I didn't know what to expect, what was going on. And we had a great dinner, but I was pounding the uh, Bacardi and Cokes. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Bully. (laughs) So... So we get to we get to the Fillmore and I was hammered, and uh, it, it's just a bit embarrassing to look up back on. But uh, once I got sick in the Fillmore bathroom, I was ready to go, was ready to see Tom Petty. <laughs> Cleanse it out. I, I remember listening to um, when he's you at the Fillmore. You can erase that part of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's going on loop. <laughs> I remember listening to the, uh, uh, the Fillmore shows, uh, KLOS out here in, in L.A., yeah. uh, simulcasted. And then I picked up on eBay. What's the DJ from KLOS? Uh, Jim? Jim Ladd. Um, yeah. Oh, man. He's, the, the, the last, he's, the last I DJ. I love his work with Roger Waters on uh, Chaos. Radio Chaos, yeah. In fact, that's yeah. that's also about KMBT out here, too. He based the book on that. Um, so they simulcasted, yeah. but uh, back then I uh, – I went to eBay, and back then you could actually buy something and find something on eBay. Um, I have right. the I have the two CD set from Westwood One of that of one of the concerts. I believe it's from uh, Minneapolis on that tour. Yeah, yeah. I got the whole the whole Westwood One uh, CD pieces oh, nice. on that. Yeah, I, you know what? I think I have that too. Oh, so that back to a tangent I went off on earlier back in two thousand six. I started, uh, we started talking about John Scott. Oh, that's right. Yes. And then what John wanted, he asked me about streaming media and if I knew how to do it. So basically he wanted me to create this radio station from my desk, um, which I did. I bought a soundboard and a a great uh, microphone and um, hooked us up with a streaming radio station service. Mm-hmm. And um, I started doing this Gone Gator radio thing, and I started bragging about it on all the message boards, on all the contact. I had I built this mailing list for GoneGator dot com that had ten thousand people on it. Wow! And I sent it out to them, and then this radio station thing took off, and people were listening to it. And you could see them listening to it coming in from all over the world. You know, I had people from England and Germany and Switzerland and wow. Africa and China and all these people listening to and all the people in the U.S. And I do, um, I do these live shows. It was just me trying to be funny and <laughs> playing, playing music. And, um, you're living the dream there. You're a Tom Petty fan. You have the Tom Petty sites going on. You're playing, Gone Gator Radio. Just... Right. I had all the avenues built yeah. to market this thing. And it was it was phenomenal. And, and then, um, so, okay, Tony Dimitriotis and John Scott, well, I guess it was John Scott who did it, but he flew me out to L.A., and I stayed at his house for a week, and we went to Guitar Center in... Uh, what a uh, Sherman Oaks. Yeah. And uh, went there, built, uh, bought a, I said, we need this kind of soundboard. It needs a USB connection to the computer. We need this kind of microphone. We need this mic screen. So we're not popping our peas. Yeah. I, I got all the equipment that we needed to, to do this. And we set up this little station in his garage in his house in Sherman Oaks. And we were doing live shows from there all of a sudden. That's awesome. So 
Then John sets up a meeting with Tony Dimitriotis in at East End Management's office. And all of a sudden, I'm in fucking Tom Petty's manager's office playing a Tom Petty Martin guitar that was just released <laughs> and talking about websites and streaming audio to Tony Dimitriotis. And this guy listened to me like my shit didn't stink. Wow. And you talk about an overwhelming experience. I cannot tell you how much respect I have for Tony Dimitriotis. Damn. You, 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 that man. It, it, the he, feeling you not had. Not only did he do what he did for Tom Petty, he's Billy Idol's manager. And at the time, he was also Lindsey Buckingham's manager. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this guy's experience with the music industry, man, I wanted to work for him so fucking bad. (laughs) And it never quite happened, but damn, I worked at it. And um, he was an idol. I mean, after after majoring in music business, this is the guy you wanted to know. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I I mean, this was like, Rock, rock stars are great and all, but this is, he's the guy who made the shit happen. Exactly. He's the behind the scenes rock star right there. Yeah. And man, uh, a tremendous guy. I got to see him in Atlanta in April for uh, the last show. He was walking down the aisle and I got to become pretty good friends with Mary Clouser, who's in the office. And I don't know if you know the song off Southern Accents. Mary's got a brand new car. Yeah, I think I've heard that. that yeah, that, that's about Mary at East End Management. Oh wow! And um, so we became friends, and a couple of times I took trips out to L.A. And Mary would always meet me for lunch, and we're we're we're, we're good friends. And, uh, she's really helped me out through. Some, I mean, I've had some ups and downs in my life, and this past tour, money was a little tight. And I, you know, I hated to ask, but I asked Mary, and she hooked me the hell up. Oh, that's and, great, um, especially this year, in, in so, hindsight. Yeah. Um, so Tony was walking to the soundboard, and I got to run down to the uh, side from where I was sitting and say hi and shake his hand, and um, it was good to see him. I, I just can't imagine what those guys have been going through in the last week. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I've emailed Mary. I haven't heard back. Um I'm almost afraid to call. Sure. Um, you know, I, I want to be respectful and um, not overstep any boundaries. But, um, you know, I know they're hurting. And um, if there's anything to do for them, I'd be right there in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. You know, and you definitely want to make sure they know that you, you you didn't just love them when it was happening. You know, you're still here. Right. Right. But, um, you know, having known them as, as I have, I know they've recorded everything they've ever recorded, even jokingly, and I know those things exist. Wow. And I do look forward to the possibility of lots of unreleased Tom Petty material coming out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, if which, it's if it's even just a, a smidge of how playback came out, yeah, right. this would be phenomenal. But I know they've been working on... Um, and to my knowledge, it's done, 
and will probably be the first release, but the um, the unreleased cuts from Wildflowers. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I have a feeling that would probably be the first thing out. Wasn't that um, wasn't that supposed to be a double album at first? Yes. Gotcha. Exactly. And that's why they did that and went back and, you know, um, organized the tracks better, I guess. Yeah. That was such a, a great oh. album too, and another reborn of uh, rebirth of Tom Petty, just like a Full Moon yeah. Fever was. Just because you have the melodies, right. you have Wildflowers, and then you have those rockers, right. Cabin Down Below, Honey Bee, and you're just, you know, uh, one of exactly. my favorite things is when uh, Dave Grohl sat in on the Saturday Night Live, on and, Saturday Night Live, yeah, yeah and just they whipped out Honey Bee. I mean, it's such a rocker. On that tour, I went and saw them in Birmingham, Alabama, mm-hmm. um, and. The Foo Fighters opened for them. Oh wow! And that that was a great show. Um, Damn. Yeah, that was just a great memory. Yeah. But Is... Yeah, they've got so much great material that has been unheard, and I hope I hope they let that out to the fans. I have a feeling they will mm-hmm. because there's a very strong community. Uh, you know, community now with the, I don't know if you're part of it, but Tom Petty Nation is out there, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, it's basically a Facebook page, but you know, it's got a lot of members and it's a lot of Tom Petty fans, and that can't be a bad thing. That's um, I, so. there was a there was a uh, show on VH1 called Classic Albums. Did you, did you ever get a chance to see that one about Damned Torpedoes? Yeah, yeah, I've actually got that DVD. Yeah, me too, <laughs> me too. Yeah, yeah, and it's got Benmont going through the individual tracks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, that's like, I love when they go behind the scenes like that with anything I love, and, and that was just oh, interesting. That, that's so cool. We got a soundstage. I got soundstage when they were in Chicago. Uh, yep. high, high grass. I, I've got friends who went to that show. Really? Yeah. That's... And, uh, just I, Well, just people I've met through Gone Gator. I mean, I'm still in touch. I email a lot of people I've known since I first started Gone Gator. And the friends I've made around the country just by doing this, I mean, I've met some really cool people. <laughs> that's that's so great. And it, 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 it's just cool, man. You know, um, politics aside and everything, with what's going on in the world, um, we've all got music to keep us together. Yeah. And it, every song means something different to every person. And, you know, when you find that thing that sings to your heart, and like Tom Petty did to mine and so many other people, you know, it, it, it's amazing. What I appreciated most about Tom Petty is that he pretty much kept his politics to himself. Yeah. Maybe not totally silent, but he wasn't a Bono and he wasn't a Springsteen and he wasn't a Sting. Yeah. Where you just want to go, shut the fuck up. Yeah, well, he came off as a, a an every an every guy guy, you know, and just some guy with yeah. a guitar. And you know, I, what I love about his music is the in that in his just their library, you can handle every mood you're feeling, and right. he'll pick you up, stay down with you if that's where you need to be, and it's just great, great music. And right, it, it was heartfelt, and it, I, man, the lyrics are just, I I mean, his rhymes. Mm-hmm. Are are just so right on. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't say enough about his songwriting. No. His, his lyrics always meant something. 
I mean, he wrote songs that, you know, weren't always typical, you know, like verse, 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 chorus, verse, right. chorus, you know. Um, he could write a song that was all chorus, like Free Fall. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's he, he broke down the boundaries. You know, he tried and he... I don't know, he redefined rock and roll. Oh, I think so, too. Oh. It, 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 his songs weren't redundant. They weren't just the cookie-cutter stuff right. putting it out. Right. I mean, yeah. like, I, I love the Rolling Stones. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. You can't... I mean, Keith Richards is another idol of mine. But songwriting-wise, I don't know if they can hold a candle to what Tom Petty wrote. No, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. You know, I mean, sure, Satisfaction was great. I mean, the early 60s and the 70s stuff were great for the Stones. After that, not so much. <laughs> exactly. Just kind of putting it out there every few years. <laughs> well, Sean, this is this has been a, a, a thrill, and I appreciate you so much uh, taking the time to talk with me about Tom Petty and and what you've been up to and what uh, we finally meeting here over the, over the, the Internet here. Yeah. Man, I can't wait to come out to L.A. and hang out with you, Jim. No, for sure, for sure. So, um, uh, again, thanks for calling in, Sean. I just had a blast talking with you, and we'll definitely do this again. All right, sounds good, man. All right, buddy, thanks, and uh, have a great night. All right, you too. Are we out? Thanks for tuning in to this special presentation of the Roy and Jimmy thing.